0: Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in 3, you You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you worldwide from Megaware Keelguard Studios.
1: What's going on, Bass Edge Nation, and my good friend, Aaron Martin, we've got another great episode of Bass Edge Radio coming at you, November 1st, Aaron, lots going on, lots to catch up with, and I'm feeling like I'm in shape, my friend.
2: Yeah, you know how that song goes, I'm not as good as I once was. Well, I'm not as sore as I once was compared to when we started this, Kurt. I'm feeling pretty good, Uh, you know, we start generally these podcasts at 6 a.m. in the morning, but I've got to tell you, I have a, a lot more energy, and I'm used to getting up now at uh, four to hit my 5:15 training routine, so uh, all is well,
1: my friend. I'm proud of you for uh, utilizing the earlier part of the day. Me, not so much. I, I like it more in the afternoon. So uh, I'm, I'm keeping my regiment going solid. I'm also feeling pretty chipper. I gotta admit, had a little lapse being at the uh, U.S. Open, you know, a week and a half or so ago. But I'm right back in form, and in quite honestly, Aaron, it hurts so good. Still feeling the gains with the pain, my friend. That's
2: right. That's right. And, you know, ironically, we both had kind of that lapse, which I think worked out well because you were at uh, the U.S. Open. I was at uh, my championship there at Stockton, which we'll spend a little time talking about later. But uh, yeah, it's nice to be back in the saddle. And for those that don't know what we're talking about, maybe you haven't tuned into social media or previous podcasts, Kurt and I are actually doing a fitness challenge. The F45 Fitness Challenge, eight weeks. We've turned it into, I think, 10 or 11. Um, but the winner of that will uh, do a $1,000 from Bass Edge. will go to our respective charities and um, actually even had a body scan, a 3D body scan to go through really? everything. So I've got empirical data to back up results at the end of this thing.
1: Man, I got to say, I, I wish I had that technology in Del Rio. We don't have all that going on down here. And the gym that, that you're with up there in Evansville, right? I believe it was Evansville? Ellisville. Ellisville. Yes. That's it. Ellisville. So the uh, trainers that you're with, you've made it a tough battle for me, but I'm enjoying the process, man. It's It's been a lot of fun and something else that's going going on, Aaron? You just got back from a little Megaware vacation? What's this all about? You went out and saw the folks and uh, Tori and Ryan, Dave, all the crew from out there in the Megaware at, in Utah. How was the trip?
2: It was fantastic. I tried posting a few pictures, or not me, those people that know how to post pictures on social media. (laughs) Flew out on a Thursday, spent time there at uh, the corporate office there in Ogden. And believe it or not, Kurt, we then headed into the back country with Ryan and Dave, each of them having uh, their planes and flying into Idaho along the Salmon River. And for those that possibly have seen the TV show, there's actually under the Discovery Channel, it's called the River of No Return. And if you get a (laughs) chance to turn that in, it's phenomenal. But when I asked, uh, Diana David texted me while I was on my way to the championship and said, hey, if you have a chance, Uh, either watch or record on the Discovery Channel, the River of No Return. Well, of course, I'm driving, so I have to call Diana, say, hey, hit the DVR. And I said, this is why. And she's like, do you realize this thing is called the River of No Return and you're going up there to go bush plane flying and landing on gravel bars and barley fields and everything else? But I've got to say, it was well worth it. And, uh, you know, to have that kind of experience with such a long term partner and friends of Bass Edge, it definitely ranks in, in one of the top. Experiences
1: of yeah, my life. Yeah, well, to go somewhere like that, it, it would have to be a trusted partner and friend. So, uh, yeah, definitely big shout out to the folks there, at MegaWare. Number one, for getting you out of that St. Louis area for a while and getting you out in the back country there. That, so that was pretty awesome. And uh, man, just to super appreciate MegaWare Kielgar for being a part of Bass Edge Radio for so long, an initial partner and been with us all the way since. 2006. So, uh, big shout out to those guys. Make sure you check out all their products at keelguard.com. Aaron, man, we have such a continued great show coming. We've got all kinds of things to discuss. We are going to take a short break right now and listen to protecttheharvest.com Tackle Tip. Y'all hang tight. We've got a great show. This episode's protecttheharvest.com Tackle Tip with FLW Tour Pro,
3: Brian Latimer. All right, guys. So you yeah, know, a lot of people like to fish lipless crankbaits, and it's absolutely one of my favorite ways to catch bass pretty much throughout the entire year. But one thing that liftless crankbaits are notorious for is losing a lot of fish on them. And a lot of us always talk about our rods. We talk about the rod setup. We talk about using a glass rod. We talk about using a soft graphite rod. But one thing that you never hear many people talk about is the actual gear ratio. I think that is absolutely the most important part of staying hooked up with fish. If you've got a really, really fast reel, a like 801 gear ratio reel, 731 gear ratio reel, I think a lot of times you have a tendency to rush the fish and you can lose hookup ratio that way. If fish jumps, you're pulling him so fast, you're horsing, horsing, horsing him with that fast reel. I almost always use a slower reel. There's some instances where I don't, but I almost always use a slower reel. I feel like that allows me to baby that fish and not pull the hooks out of its face quite as easily. So when you're thinking about your rod setups, that's cool, but don't forget your gear ratio. Gear ratio is really important. Use that slower reel, I think
1: you'll hook up a little bit better. Awesome, Brian. That's a great tip. Brought to you by protecttheharvest.com.
4: First by land and now by sea.
0: nitro performance bass boats get pro level performance with the nitro z18 the official boat of major league fishing The z18 with its nimble handling and versatility sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line like a guardian live well a heavily insulated cooler dual eight foot rod storage and our smooth and fast nvt hull every nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well catch fish Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines.
2: Well, Kurt, you uh, came off of a little time spending in the desert, right? I happened to see a social media post of where you were using buoy markers to uh, mark your fishing
1: spots. (laughs) Yes. uh, You know, for folks that haven't been out to Lake Mead before, the lake is low. It's been low like that for several years. So I thought, you know, you don't usually see channel markers on the lake, because it's just a highland desert reservoir, and it's deep, okay? But what you will see, which I thought was an interesting photo, is channel markers on the bank from when the lake was high. So I took a photo of the channel marker that is probably 50 foot out of the water, maybe 70, <laughs> and uh, there's several of those throughout the lake, but I thought it would be a great social media post, and uh, apparently it was. You you noticed, so that's uh, good to see, Aaron. I'm glad you're following what the heck I'm doing in my life. That's right. When I go to Lake Mead, I'm just going to run your pattern of red uh, channel marker buoys. and. <laughs> we actually – we had a, a past guest on the show, Wade Strelick, comment on that. He's like, yeah, stay to the left of that one. Uh, of course, <laughs> if, you, if you were on the right, yeah. you'd have been up the hill. But uh, That's right. you know, I love fishing the U.S. Open, love fishing in the desert. It's become one of my most favorite tournaments to participate in. This was my third year I had been. So, I had a top five last year, Aaron. So, you know how that is. You think, oh. I got this thing whooped. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to crush it. And the bite was as tough as I've ever seen it in the three years I've been there. It was hard to get bites. There was 256 pros with 256 ams. That's 512 or whatever it is, anglers. It was a huge event. And Western Outdoor News has done a great job with putting on this show. Billy Egan is the tournament director there that runs this whole thing. But uh, long story short is it was tough, man. It was tough for me. I was an 83rd after the first day with 6.80 pounds. I moved up to 50th after day two with a total weight of 13.5 pounds thereabouts. So I had a little over 6.5 each day. And the third day I thought man I got this thing whooped. I catch another 6 pound limit. I'm not going to go home with what I really wanted which was the wind but I'm going to go home with a check and everything's going to be good. And I went out. I was on the suck bus. I could not get <laughs> Dude, could not get bites. It was so tough. I downsized tremendously. I was throwing a little Hayabusa FPJ960 with a 2.8 inch swim bait and just kind of rolling it through the rocks, uh, different depth zones from five foot to even as deep as 30 feet, fishing it on seven pounds. I mean, it was hard to get bites. I was doing stuff that I don't typically do. I did catch a few fish on buzz baits and some of the typical fall patterns, but man, it was just tough to get bites. Love the event. Definitely want to go back again next year. So look forward to that. But uh, the cool thing is I was checking out the results on the Central Pro Elite Aaron saw You jack some bigots. Tell me about
2: it. Yeah. So always like you uh, look forward to the championship. That's one of those deals to where it's the end of the season. You're going for basically the 40 plus thousand dollar prize, you know, at the end of it. Uh, So there's no points. There's no nothing other. You you want the golden nugget, right? Practice was uh, interesting. It was warm. Started out warm. It cooled off, had a major cold front go through you would think the fish would be uh, in the backs of the creeks they just weren't there they had been there the water had came down uh, you know I, I mentioned in the earlier episode that the lake had been so high it's back to normal pool uh, which is a little low compared to when we would normally fish that lake but needless to say you know had my sights set on throwing top water had some success on that on practice but what I had figured out is it seemed that the better fish which is what I was going for were holding out a little bit deeper so I had uh, paired up a rock crawler which is a little deeper diving than the traditional uh, wiggle wart kind of switched off between the top water. And then predominantly, by the time the tournament rolled around, uh, relied on the custom painted wiggle wart Mm -hmm. and the rock crawler switched out the hooks to make sure I had the Hayabusa hooks on there so they wouldn't come off. And needless to say, it wasn't really the hooks (laughs) that were the problem. I had one of those deals and kind of going back to our last episode with Brian Latimer, I don't know, Kurt, if it's because we're getting older in my maturity, but normally, uh, you know, when I would lose a fish, wheels would come off when I'm in the water and it would take me, you know, hours to get over that. Um, But what I was doing is essentially just burning. I was throwing it on an eight, three to one gear ratio believe it or not on 10 pound test line and just making sure i was staying in constant contact was throwing it on bigger rocks any type of debris that i could stay in contact with and reeling it that fast because the water temperature was really in the uh, upper to uh, mid 60s throughout the entire week so was fortunate to where got early bites um, but i lost the fish i had a four pounder believe it or not she was coming in uh, hooked and at the last second as i was about to bring her down the side of the boat and just do a natural uh, grabber by the belly and bring her in in a calm way. She made a jolt. Ran right into the skeg of my trolling motor. Not only did I lose the four pounder, but I uh, <laughs> lost a $20 bait. So, oh uh, but, you know, I regrouped uh, next, right after that, I caught the 530 that I weighed in and had a couple other good ones to go with it. But I think the first day, you know, I lost uh, four keepers would have put mm. me right in that top 12 of where I needed to be. Second day, completely regrouped, went out and fished all new water and uh, really the same deal. The difference was, though, between the first and the second day of competition. The first day we had sun and a lot of wind which helped me so they were eating the bait a little bit better. The second day clouds and no wind and so I really reeled it a lot faster but I noticed that every fish that I had had the back hook and they have so much power this time of year that and wanting to jump and unfortunate that lake has all three species smallmouth, largemouth, and spotted bass also have mean mouths but um, it just wasn't my day and I chalk it up to nothing not making excuses but like we had talked about the last episode with my fishing time on the water maybe I had a little bit of the and the excitement and the adrenaline pumping, perhaps, but having not been in that situation since early spring or this time last year of throwing that style of baits, you know, perhaps I was a little rusty on my uh, landing percentage on, on throwing on that lighter pound test and, you know, with that style of bait. But regardless, I at least got the bites about the bottom half of the field. They weren't getting the bites. So my win is that I take away, hey, I did figure out something that was unique. I just didn't do a good
1: job of executing. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's what I got to say about that, Aaron. Wow. Had the opportunities, just didn't come together. It's oftentimes we don't see the disappointment in the game because we just see what happens at the scales in our weekend tournaments and man, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow, but it is. it's got to give you some confidence that you're doing some of the right things to get the right bites to get the job done. So again, experience that uh, we'll take on to the next event and maybe I can give you some CBD oil or or uh, something to calm you down a little bit. You know, maybe that'll help with the cranking landing fish and, and just kind of trust the situation that you're in. But Uh, I totally get that though, man. When you haven't been on the water as much as you'd like and you've been very, very busy doing lots of traveling, it can put you in some situations that it's hard to capitalize on. Yeah, Yeah.
2: and I I still take away the fact that what's interesting as long as you and I are the same age, I'm 46 years old, going on 47, and the fact that I, I heard a deer hunter one time tell me, if your heart doesn't start pounding when you're in a tree stand and you see a big buck, it's probably time to quit the sport. So, my also takeaway is that, you know, I'm doing this at the level now because I absolutely love it but to still be able to get that excited the difference is instead of breaking a rod or you know kicking something off my deck of my boat and you know ranting and raving uh, I've at least got my anger management under control and uh, still get excited still have fun and still love chasing those little green monsters
1: <laughs> the little green monsters I like that I like that yeah little monsters Aaron, we are going to move into a Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight with an angler that we have never had here on the show. He's had some recent success, got a big W. Y'all hang tight. We're going to talk about some fall fishing, how to be successful out there on the lake, just like we always do right here on Bass Edge Radio. We'll be back
3: in a moment. This is FLW Tour Angler Matt Reed. I'm FLW Tour Angler Pete.
5: I am Bass Pro Tour angler
3: Stephen Browning.
5: I am David Dudley, 2019 Angler of the Year. Stay tuned for more Bass Edge Radio.
0: You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive Contoured Edge and patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick MegaWare Keel Guard.
1: We've got the most recent champion crowned in professional bass fishing with us on this episode of Bass Edge Radio. This FLW Pro has been so close so many times, but he closed the deal, got it done in Missouri at Lake of the Ozarks in the final FLW Costa event of 2019. He's got 15 top tens in FLW competition, a first-timer here on Bass Edge Welcome to the show, Dylan Hayes. Awesome to have you on the show, Dylan.
5: Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you asked me to be on.
2: Well, Dylan, congratulations on uh, the big W on one of my favorite lakes, believe it or not, Lake of the Ozarks. I've read a little bit about your victory and it sounds like you've made the best of a very tough practice. So many times anglers can get down after a few tough days of fishing. I know I go there regularly and try and uh, kind of pull myself out of my own mental warfare. But how did you keep it together to make lemonade really out of lemons? (laughs)
5: <laughs> that place is uh actually one of my favorite places too i went there first time two years ago and i finished fourth and almost won that event. i only lost it by i think two pounds so i knew even though practice was hard i was able to stay focused because i had a pretty good idea what i want to do and what it took to get it done that place had a lot of quality in it so at least i knew even though it was so hard that when i got a bite i mean if i got Seven or eight bites, I knew three or four of them were going to be solid ones, and they were way good. So that is a big part of how you're able to stay focused and stay positive during practice. My first bite of practice was like a nearly a six-pounder. So that's a good way to start. I always say when you go somewhere and you get a good quality bite first thing in practice that you can build off of it, or at least it gives you positive momentum going into the week. Yeah. Um, so that's basically what I did. I, w- I wasn't getting a lot of bites, but I did get some solid ones. So although you
1: had a tough practice, you felt like there was some opportunity to get the quality you needed in the, in the fight. Fish format to, to make some noise. You know, I was reading about your bait selection. I found it a little interesting fall time of year. Of course, you caught, you know, a magical fish at the end of the tournament on the crankbait, which a lot of people have read about. If you hadn't, you can go to FLW uh, website and, and read about that. But how did the bait selection really factor into your game plan? Oftentimes in the fall, we struggle with, uh, you know, vertical presentations versus horizontal presentations because the shad, yeah, you've got the crawfish game in the mix so how did you kind of lay that out and, and what was your key to victory and why you selected the baits that you did this time of year
5: well when i go there usually i like to mix up the shallow game and deep game now let's play off the weather conditions you know if it's slick and bright or something i usually i go out and fish a little deeper but if it's cloudy or windy or rainy i try to get up on the bank and power fish and chunk and wine something but It was easy for me that week because I could not get the shallow game going at all, period my first day I only had 11 pounds and I wasted four hours that day throwing a buzzbait because it was raining I think it rained three inches during the tournament <laughs> I just couldn't <laughs> I, oh oh, yeah it was it was a good time for sure <laughs> but I just could not get it going I could not get it going and I just felt like really it took me midway through the first day to realize that that I've been throwing a buzzbait for pretty much two full days of practice and half a day in a tournament and I only caught like one fish on it the whole time and and to put Even that in perspective,
2: sorry to interrupt you, Dylan, but to put that in perspective, when you say throwing a buzzbait, Lake the Ozarks can be a little difficult to find any shoreline. So that puts you going in and around docks and trying to get in up behind walkways and cables and everything else. Is that correct?
5: Right, right. It's a lot of work. Um, a whopper plopper is also another thing I threw a lot. But the first day of practice it rained. Then the next three days of practice um, it wasn't. It was pretty bright. But I started looking at it, and most of the solid bites I got weren't on the bank. Even though it rained a lot and we had a big cold front coming in, I realized that they just weren't up there very good, for me, anyway. And maybe it was just a part of the lake I was fishing. Because that was like James Watson. I think he caught a lot of fish real shallow, and a couple other guys did. But I couldn't get that going. So as far as bait selection goes, that's when I finally decided I needed to slow down and fish a little deeper. That's why I picked up a big crankbait and a jig. Quick
1: question on the jig. You know, you talk about fishing jigs a lot, and and you were targeting brush, it seemed like, around docks. I thought it was interesting that you chose a football jig to fish in and around the docks and the brush. Can you talk a little bit to the listeners about why
5: you selected a football jig for that type of presentation? Oh, it wasn't. All brush. It was some rock and stuff, too. And really, I just didn't want to waste a lot of time changing back and forth. between a maybe like a archie style brush head versus a football jig. And that hook on that jig is a special mustache that they make just for a jewel. And it, it doesn't get hung up that much. So as far as hanging up, it really wasn't that big of an issue. I mean, I might have lost five or six jigs the whole week I was there. And it's not very much, really. Uh, so that's I just kept it in my hand. I just didn't want to have a whole lot of different choices. Just try to keep it simple. There you go.
2: Well, and one of the things uh, you know, you brought up concerning the jewel football jig, it's kind of like if you're in Missouri and Arkansas, if you don't have a jewel jig, whether it's the five ths or the football jig or one of their other products, you're probably not catching as many fish as the other guys. I mean, that's that's just kind of a staple, you know, in that part of the country. All right. Yeah, you know, I wanna kinda of transition into Dylan. Also, you know, you have felt I guess the way to describe it would be the feeling that most of us would love to bottle up and sell, right? We say, uh, when it's your time, it's your time. Then we hear once an angler wins and gets a victory, those victories become easier to obtain. Of course, you just now kind of accomplished this achievement, but do you look forward to understanding how that happens? And if so, can you throw a little light and an explanation on that so that we can better understand kind of what's going through your head?
5: I definitely hope that happens to me in the future. I mean, I've won a lot locally, I've been fishing on national level for three years full time and I've had three top threes on tour and four or five top tens in the coasts. I mean, I've had opportunities to win. Uh, I just never got it done. It's funny. People always say, "Well, it's your time. It's your time." And I had already—I kind of thought, really, it was my time a few times. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> I just thought it—thought it never worked out. So, somebody didn't get that memo, thought, right? I'm just, right. I thought, man, I'm just messing this up. <laughs> but when it's really your time, you can't stop it. Like you really can't. I mean, like just like that tournament, like those arcs. I mean, when you catch a five pounder, your very last throw—you I mean, can't make that up. That's just what it is. It was my time to win. But yeah, I look forward to it. I'm One before locally and stuff but sure it's on national level it's good to get the the momentum and know that you can get it done because i mean after a while you doubt it a few times and i'm always positive and if you're not positive and confident in this game you're going to get beat but it's good to finally seal one for sure no doubt well you talked a little bit about your top tens and, and you've got four top
1: tens just this year in flw competition throughout all their programming you know you had top 10 on tour, a couple other top 10s, obviously the Coastal win. Do you feel like you've got something figured out that's put you in the position to be high enough in the standings for, like you mentioned, your time to happen? What's getting you to that point so we can help the listeners, you know, kind of understand what it is that's making Dylan Hayes tick to keep him in position to potentially get those wins?
2: Yeah. And I'll follow up too, Kurt. I want to add on that, Dylan. You know, so many people are looking for that breakthrough, right? Of just mm-hmm. what they often ask okay well is it the lure is it the location what is the magic recipe and it's it's hard to quantify so if you could elaborate on kind of what has put you in that breakthrough like Kirk speaks of that would be fantastic
5: to me it's all about fishing what you're confident and comfortable in and staying confident and positive because uh, it's going to be hard days and it's going to be really good days i mean hard tournaments and good tournaments uh, as far as is there anything magical that's happened to me? I, I don't think so. To me, it's just another tournament. that's another year. I always, I mean, I worked just as hard on the last one as I did in the first one. I think this year, I had four top 10s this year. Three of them come off Highland Lake. I grew up fishing a lot of Highland entailments. I feel just really at home. Not say I don't feel comfortable when I go to Sam Rayburn, or, but I just think it comes to me quicker and easier on Highland Lake's Lake of the Ozarks and Lake Cherokee and Greers Ferry Lake back home. I jumped in one BFL and got a top 10. I finished fourth in that one. And then the, the other top 10 was on the Potomac River. And that's not high at all. I think I just got lucky <laughs> up there. really is. That's <laughs> all that I loved Potomac. Some people hate it. I really, really like it. But that was the hardest practice I've ever had in my life. I think I caught six keepers in four days of practice. And it was just miserable, miserable, miserable up there. I don't know what's going on in that place. But they all died pretty much.
1: Yeah, it's fishing tough up there, no doubt. It's it's interesting. You talk about the Highland Lakes. You know, I know you fished the Arkansas River a good bit too. So you know, there's maybe some transition there to the Potomac and that style of fishing. So maybe it's just the experience. You've had a lot of success at home. You started fishing more on a national scale over three, you know, over the last three years. Arkansas is a very diverse area. You know, they've got rivers, lowland, island, mountain. I mean, they got everything, right? So Mm -hmm. it gives an angler an opportunity to excel once he starts traveling, and then it's almost like you can see uh, the confidence matriculate to your feeling of when you go to a Highland Reservoir, you do well there, and so you go with even a higher sense of urgency and confidence that there's a chance for you to win the event. And then it kind of seems like it all breaks down through that. So we talk about it all the time here on Bass Edge about confidence, your mental, uh, keeping things positive, just uh, feeling like you always got an opportunity to do well and put fish in the live well and and to bring back a bag that's going to be highly competitive. And it seems like that's kind of what's matriculated with you through the last several years, and and you're being able to take this to a whole new level that uh, you're competing on. So it's awesome to see.
5: I think a lot of it is some of these places I've been to and I've learned and had some early success it just, and you can build off of it. Like with River, for example. I mean, I've been there three times now. I right. uh, went there my rookie year on tour, and I didn't even get a check when we went. But that was just my fault. I lost some key fishing was then. But I found some, and I just helped me understand what to look for on that place. Same thing, like you said, Arkansas being such a versatile state. There's a lot of pros from Arkansas over the years. I mean, there's probably, I don't know, 15 of them right now.
1: Right. Because
5: of that. I mean, I grew up fishing cypress trees in south Arkansas, and I, I went to college in central Arkansas around, and you know, Lake Ouachita and Gears Ferry and Lake Hamilton. You have docks and Highland, and you also, I mean, I fish Lake Darnell a million times. It's just the river system. So, yes, being versatile definitely helps. I'm confident in anything you put in front of me. The only thing I didn't get a chance to do a lot growing up is fish a lot of grass, offshore grass. Right. Uh, and that was always one of my weakest things being on tour but on tour we go to a lot of grass lakes so i've learned a lot in the last three years doing that so I'm, i mean i feel like i'm pretty confident doing that and maybe that's leading to more success because this is you know probably my best year sure overall.
1: that's awesome man it's great to hear tell you what we're going to take a short break pause in the action we're going to power pole down hang tight bass edge nation will return in a moment
2: Bass Edge Radio presented in part by Mercury Marine Returns with FLW Tour Pro Dylan Hayes and the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil high-performance marine products. For oil that surpasses all manufacturer's requirements, be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all
1: Lucas products. It works. Dylan, we're going to take a closer look in the second half of the show. Uh, we hear about bait, bait, bait in this fall fishing time. We've had some listeners that are interested here from the breakdown on how to target fall bass with specific techniques. want to hear your input on some of the ways you specifically
5: will target bass in the fall months. Usually, talking about the bait, 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 that's usually what the first thing I look for. Bass in the fall, especially later in the fall, will a lot of times show themselves because they'll be chasing bait fish and they're trying to fatten up for the winter. That's what I try to go for the first. Fall fishing is usually lower weights and tournaments so it doesn't take a lot to win on um, most places it depends on what place you go to but overall i mean just a three pound average a lot of times over a three or four day event will win so that's what I, I try to look for um if i can't get that going if they're not in the backs of the creeks like i want them to be or towards the backs then you just work your way out more than the main lake and hopefully you run across them
1: What are some of the techniques that you like to use when you're working, like, say, back of the creeks, and then if it's not happening back there when you transition out? What are some of the, say, two techniques you like to use when you're working the backs versus
5: when you're working out trying to locate them out in the front? To me, it's usually I'm going to try to catch them on top water. If I'm going down a bank, uh, I'm going to be throwing a buzzbait or a whopper plopper, almost Every time. If I'm targeting like a spot necessarily in the back of the creek or a bunch of breaking fish on one little bitty area of the back, then I'm on the like a, a walking stop bait, like a, a spook, a bizarre spook or something. If I can get it going on the top water, that's where I'm the most comfortable. Sometimes you may have to go under the water and maybe catch some more a rail trap if they're back there. Um, square bill is really good in the fall. That's about Anywhere you can take those baits and uh and that's a, give you a good start to fall fishing in general.
2: Can you comment and, uh quickly on the when you speak of top water? How important is color selection on your whopper plopper
5: buzz bait spook? I keep it simple. I mean this black or white for me. It's, I keep it simple on pretty much every bait that I throw in general. Usually it's a black or it's a, a natural color, like a green pumpkinish or brown or white, like a shad color. If, and I'll just try one or the other. Like those Ozark, for example, I've had some great days on white and some great days on black. I've seen it make a big difference. Uh, I'll never forget one day on Darnell's lemon, a black and blue jig, and I hadn't had a bite in hours, and I was like, man, what is going on? And I cut it off and put a white one on, and I caught like 10 fish in the next 30 minutes. Definitely makes a difference. You just need to try it and see what you can get bit on. Keep open-minded. As far as real particular colors, I don't get caught up in that. I don't think the fish care most of the time. I mean, just going by their head. Denny Brower told me a long time ago, I think I was 12 years old, I went to a, a deal where he was talking, and he said, if you want to be good in the game, he said, learn how to cast. He said, if you can put your bait on a four-pounder's nose, he said, it doesn't matter what it is. He said, most of the time, he's going to bite it. He's going to react to it and eat it. So, I don't get caught up in the colors a whole lot. Yeah, gotcha.
2: Well, Dylan, we hear a lot about fishing up the river as compared to down the lake in the fall. Which do you think is most productive for you and why?
5: The depends on the fishery. Uh, uh, I feel like a lot of times down the lake on most lakes the fish are bigger, um, but they're maybe harder to catch. Mm. Up the river, in my head, a lot of times they're maybe a little smaller, but they're more bites. So if it's really tough, I'll go up the river. Um, then the opposite. You know, if it's if, like, if it's pretty easy to get bites, same thing back at the creeks or main lakes. I feel like if I can get bit on the main lake, and. You know, they're way more than the fish I catch in the backs of creeks. That's how I start my practice anyway.
1: I like that concept. I think you're dead. dead, dead, dead that's right on that too. I think you get more bites up the rivers when it's tough. It's good to go up the rivers, but if you can get bit down lake, that's probably where a lot of tournaments are going to be won. On a lot of fisheries, obviously, it depends on fisheries throughout right. the country wanted to kind of back up slightly we talked a little bit about some of the baits you like to use i think most of them primarily in the backs of creeks you know you talked about the square bill topwater what about when you're moving out you mentioned if you can't find them in the backs which is your preference and you've got to kind of move out what are you looking for when you move out and how are you changing techniques that maybe weren't working in the backs of the creeks to continue to locate fall fish
5: I mean, Lake of the Ozarks is a perfect example of that. I mean, I, I started, you know, running the bank with a topwater buzzbait and stuff in all the pockets and towards the backs, and I couldn't get it going. So I just started coming out more halfway back towards even the main lake pockets and main lake points in the pockets, and I just slowed down and, and come offshore a little bit and started dragging that jig around. Or you might throw instead of a square bill, you might start throwing a, you know, a six or eight foot diving crankbait or. You know, in my situation I was throwing a six XT. I was trying to hit twelve to fifteen foot stuff. And that's gonna vary with your fishery, what depth can you need to focus at. But if they're not up shallow and in the backs and they're gotta be somewhere else. And they gotta be a little deeper or out towards the front more. So that's what I start to do. I just start dragging something around or fishing a little deeper. Crankbait G. The is another really good fall bait too. If I was throwing it up shallow, you know, I would throw a smaller profile like a the screaming eagle ward was really good. It's heavy and you can uh a smaller profile so you can throw it up shallow and burn it back but i wouldn't throw that same bait out deeper i would throw you know a little bit you know maybe uh, a half or three quarter ounce just a full size spinner bait
1: I think it's a great way to target different, like you say, different depth columns, keeps kind of moving around, changing things up. I think oftentimes anglers, you know, get into a concept of where they think the fish should be, and they just keep fishing it and never find it. And then, you know, you talking about what you did at Lake of the Ozarks, you tried that and then you had to move out and adjust things and ultimately led to getting the W. So I think that's probably one of the most difficult things for anglers to do is just say, okay, this is not happening. What do I have to do to change and maybe it's a 180-degree change in order to get bites and try to have a productive day or week on the water, whatever it is. I got one other question real quick about bodies of water, lakes versus river conditions, and is there anything in the fall you try to avoid that you've seen based on your experience because you feel it's an inconsistent or
5: unproductive way to attack fall bass? To me, I'm going to contradict myself here because I always say I look for bait, but to me, if you go somewhere where there's a The shed. I mean, some of these places you go in these pockets and you can walk across the shed and fish are blowing up, but there may only be just a handful of fish blowing up in there. Those fish are really hard to catch a lot of times and you'll waste a lot of your day trying to catch them. And sure, you might catch one here and there, but if I see it, sure, I'll try it. I mean, I'll throw at them if they're blowing up, but a lot of times those fish are impossible and you're just wasting your practice or your event on it. Sometimes if there's more fish and less bait, it works better. But if there's just an absurd amount of bait, just a few fish, I tend just to move on.
2: Yeah. Certainly uh, where you just came from being Lake of the Ozarks, like you said, you could literally walk across some of the bait when it's so thick. And I can't say that I've had a lot of success doing that either, Dylan, but uh, kind of switching gears, you know, the MLF LW Pro Circuit in 2020, how does the possibility line up for you to fish and what do you like or have reservations about going into essentially a new New circuit next year.
5: Well, I mean, I plan on fishing. I'm still hunting for sponsors every day, just like the rest of us. But I'm excited about it. I think a lot of good could come from it. I like how they low the entry fees on some of the grassroots circuits, like the Coastal Series and BFLs. So I guess a lot of people back interested, and some of with well, the well, FOW picking up the entry fees last year. A lot of people didn't finish some of those events. So I think they'll get a lot of people back into it on tour. I mean, there's supposed to be a lot more coverage and maybe a lot more stability. Uh, I don't know how stable FOW was financially, but maybe we'll have that. It's just change. Sometimes change is good, sometimes it's not. People don't accept it right off the bat, but I think if we uh, embrace it, I think it could be a good thing for everyone, and I'm just looking forward to trying it out.
1: Dylan, I think it's a great perspective. I think people can embrace some of the change and go into this full force. I think that now you've got uh, what was three organizations in the industry, reduced to two organizations, and now there's a lot of possibilities and movement from anglers all over the country, no matter what level they fish, whether it's BFL, Costa, Mm -hmm. Pro Circuit, or Bass Pro Tour. So uh, I'm excited about it. I think it gives a great platform, really helps, uh, obviously, MLF provide a platform for all anglers to be involved so uh i'm looking forward to it as well it should be a fun year and something for all the fans to watch hopefully both of us will be out there enjoying the uh pro circuit next year and having some success and riding off of our 2019 momentum for sure right dylan we're going to roll into our listener question segment brought to us by nitro performance bass boats that's a boat you know a lot about Mm -hmm. (laughs) also Aaron and uh matt Hop this question I fish Lake Conroe near Willis Texas I'm usually bass fishing from my hobie kayak I'm looking to intercept some more bass as they begin the fall transition and chasing all those bait fish what clues or indicators could help me to know when they're making their move from the deep summer haunts to creek channels coves etc
5: first thing I look for is the bait fish is the shad, and that's a big clue I mean, when you put your kayak in the water you can start in a, in a creek or start in a big pocket and make your way back towards the bass and see if a lot of the base towards the front or towards the back or in the middle. And, you know, wherever it is, that's where I start fishing. And if you start getting bit, great. If not, then start working your way back out towards the main lake. And some, eventually, you'll run across some. And that's how I would start making the fish out right off the bat.
2: Do you concentrate on the size of the bait fish? You know, since we keep talking about Lake of the Ozarks and you being from Arkansas with the Highland Reservoirs, you know, the specific forage, sometimes you have the big gizzard shad, sometimes you have the smaller thread fin. Do you notice any difference there of the size or the amount of fish or does that not even come into play kind of when you're going through your process?
5: I usually focus on the size of the bass I'm catching first. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> the gizzard should yes. That's that's what I look for immediately. Those are they're hard to see. A lot of times they're hard to find. They don't get on the top like the threat fins will and get these massive, massive schools. But, yes, yeah, so when those big gizzards get up on those rocks, that's what that whopper flopper and that big buzzword, that's what it's ultimately trying to, to mimic. It's going by their head so fast. But if, if they're up there... Well, their nose on the rocks just real close that's what they're trying to eat that's what they're looking for in my head anyway so yeah that's what i try to find
1: i'd also like to throw out this for matt as far as this question is concerned the situation that dylan you know the process you went through at lake of the ozarks you know go up there go shallow try to work the top waters work the square bills work the shallow backs of the creeks visually trying to find those bait fish but if you're not getting a response from the fish it's probably because they're not there and just continue mm-hmm. to move out as you did at Lake of the Ozarks and uh, eventually you'll run into them. If it's just that, Matt, you're looking for you know, fish to be in the backs, it's easier to target from your kayak rather than deep water fish. You might just have to throw it on the back of the truck for a couple more weeks until the water cools, the days continue to get a little bit more short and uh, the fish finally transition into that fall behavior pattern.
5: That goes in the fishing time, this in general, uh, fish really aren't that smart. Um, <laughs> and a lot of times they're not that hard to catch. So if you're not getting bit, you're probably not putting your bait in front of them. So that's just what I try to do in general. If I'm, not getting bit, I'm just keep changing and keep changing it. That goes back to, you talked about like preconceived notions. If you, what you think is going to happen, what you think should be happening. And, uh, if that's not working real quick, I mean, a lot of times you can just scratch it. And that's for me, that's when I have my best events, a lot of times when I go to places that I've never been. I don't have any preconceived notions. I fish wide open with a clear mind and I don't expect anything. So I fish what's happening at that time. That's what I do. What I need to do more of is always just try to fish with an open mind. Yeah, good stuff. And No matter the time it's here.
2: Yeah. And I think that uh, one last thing to add is for Matt in particular to his question is that, you know, fishing from a kayak, uh, it's kind of like bank fishing. That gives you a different perspective because, you know, your mobility is somewhat limited. So you've got to kind of be willing to fish with an open mind or otherwise it might be a tough day and you might be out there just uh, frothing the water with your paddle, you know. All right. Well, Dylan, hey, thanks. thanks. Thanks for answering uh, Matt's question. Matt, we need one more thing from you, and that is to simply go to BassEdge.com, click on the listener question claim your prize tab. Fill that information out and let us know that you heard your question answered by Dylan here on episode 315 and we will get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to your doorstep.
1: And as always, a continued reminder to Bass Edge listeners, send in those questions to the show via our website BassEdge.com or shoot us a email support at BassEdge.com. You can also leave us a comment on our social media pages and we will hopefully hear your question on the show.
2: Well, Dylan, it was great to have you debut your presence here on Bass Edge Radio. Do you have uh, some last comments for Bass Edge listeners?
5: Man, I, I really appreciate y'all having me on. I enjoy the show, and I, I like getting on here and doing this. I like helping people, and any of my knowledge that I can share and people can absorb, I just like to do that. And uh, that's why people listen to your show to begin with, just to learn. So That's always a, a good thing. Well,
1: definitely today they did that, Dylan. They picked up some great tips from you. And I got to send you off with our final segment, Four last questions for you. Question number one, you got any morning rituals before tournament day?
5: Not too much. I don't get caught up in a lot of that. I eat a banana a lot I before think. I go fishing, but I'm, I'm really careful about not putting it in the boat <laughs> right. anytime. And, I mean, even if I'm, like, getting the boat ready and I accidentally put it on the front deck, like, I messed up for a little while. Like, I just, I don't like that. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget. This, this is a funny story. I'll never forget this year at Lake Chickamauga in our tour event. I've had a pretty, I mean, okay practice. And uh, it was the first day, it was 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and I had not caught a bass, 11 o'clock. And what is this going on? I turned around, look, I hear my marshal doing something. I turned around, my marshal's back there eating the biggest, yellowest banana I've ever seen in my life. I I mean, you can't make it up. I was like, what is this? Why would you do this to me? and i'm not that superstitious and i try to keep that stuff out of my head i know it doesn't matter but that happened well fast forward this year till the other day like those Ozarks, and uh on the final day i fished with a guy who's my friend that was actually my roommate last week he was in fourth going to the final day as i was so we got to fish together and we fished all day and i won and everything we get back to the cabin and uh he was getting his stuff out of the boat and opened up that back box for him. And right there on top is a banana. <laughs> He's not your I friend said, anymore. I said, dude, if I wasn't one and I found this big banana on this boat, we would not be friends. <laughs> <ever> <laughs> <again."> <laughs> but maybe, maybe now, maybe now the banana curse is overcome, right? Right. That's what I said. So I guess this doesn't bother me anymore. And he told me, he said, man, he said, I brought it on purpose. I didn't tell you on purpose. He said, I, the biggest Term I ever won, I had a banana in the boat. I'm a believer in it, but I didn't want to tell you and mess you up. So. Dude, that's the new deal. So
1: you get in contention. When you're finally in the top 10, final day of the event, throw the banana in the boat, seal the deal. Throw it in there. Yes. Right. I'm, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. Next top 10 I make, I'm doing a freaking banana in the boat. I like that. <laughs> All right. What's the last picture you took with your phone? Uh, let me look.
5: I like it. It's the real deal. He's actually looking. The real deal. That's right. 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 The real deal. Yeah. It's okay. a game camera picture. Uh, it's of a 8-point a in my backyard. I checked my pictures yesterday, and uh, I just took a picture of my computer screen. Awesome. And I'm going to try to kill him this afternoon, maybe. <laughs> You're going to be looking for that 8-point
1: again real soon. All right. <laughs> like, okay, what was your first thought of what to do with your
5: 40 k winning check last month? The first thought was actually, there's my entry fee money for next year. <laughs> There you go. I mean, because I was really trying to figure out how I was going to do that, and. don't have any excuse not to fish, because I got the money all of a sudden. <laughs> now you know.
1: Okay, that's good. I like it. Reinvest in the career. That's always positive. And the final thing right. is, what is your favorite road album? You know, you travel down the road. We all travel so much fishing the tour. You know, if you had a go-to album, you got a CD laying in the console, or what's your go-to album while you're cruising down the road?
5: I Usually, when I'm going down the road, I listen, listen to XM radio. Uh, a lot of uh, the highway, a lot of country music. Blue collins probably my favorite right now. That's what I jam out to. If I'm really sleepy or something, I, I can't do that. I got to go put some 90s hip-hop or rap or something in or some rock. I'm pretty versatile. I got to do something, take me back in the day and get me pumped up by something that I used to like. I like <laughs> That's you. what I do when like I get you. sleepy. Very diversified, go-to album, rap,
1: 90s, keeping you awake. You. Long I think that's awesome.
5: It sure beats the heck out of
2: Kurt's Kenny Loggins, I can tell you that.
1: Right. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> Dylan, it's been awesome to have you on the show. I appreciate uh, you spending time with us today. Best of luck down at the Costa Championship later on this month. Guys, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Bass Edge Radio continues on.
0: You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive Contoured Edge and patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick MegaWare Keel Guard.
4: Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real world punishment, the Power Hole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool. Swift. PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you.
2: It was nice having Dylan make his uh, debut here on Bass Edge shortly after a win on a lake that, you know, I've certainly spent a lot of time on. And actually, I've really enjoyed hearing kind of his thoughts on I know we didn't go into a lot of detail, but using that football jig, both in the shallow, rockier presentations, but also around brush. You know, Kurt, that's kind of one of those things that uh, not a lot of people go to. It's it's kind of kept secret because there's a tremendous amount of man-made planted brush piles that are up there. But he was competing against some sticks. Of course, James Watson slipped into second place, thought that he was actually going to take it over. But that five-pounder there at the end, by doing something different and making that crankbait cast uh, Paid off to the tune of $40,000 for Dylan.
1: Yeah, that's a good payoff right there, Aaron. You know, what's interesting, if uh, you haven't seen the video, shoot on over to FLW's website. You can see Dylan actually break off one of those jigs in the last couple casts and and decides to go ahead and pick up that crankbait in the five-pounder swallows it. And uh, that's what seals the deal. Aaron, it's interesting about, you know, the football jig selection. You know, we talked about fishing some rocks. Obviously, he's bringing it through some brush as well. What do you think about the Arky head versus the football jig and uh, fishing that style? What works well for you?
2: I really like the football jig. Um, when I was fishing a lot of the BFLs on the uh, local scene of the Ozark division, and, the, and when they used to have the BASS weekend series, Lake of the Ozarks was constantly on the tour on both schedules, and we would often have tournaments up there in September. And two things that I go to in in really that, that September to early October timeframe, one is if I'm fishing deep. I will absolutely have a brown and green flash football jig, three quarter ounce tipped with a speed craw to hit those brush piles with because those brush piles are smaller. They're often sparse so they're not going to be like a whole tree that's down there, right? It's people that's piling and throwing concrete blocks and some things like that that's in there. So you can find those brush piles quickly by using that three quarter ounce again with that jewel head, it comes through that a little bit better, but you can stay down on those deeper fish. The second thing would be, you know, I'm going to be going shallow, flipping certain docks that have a hard bottom underneath them in the back of the creeks. If that's where they're at, sounds to me like for Dylan, that was not the case, but I am a huge fan of using that football jig in the deeper situations and then going to more of the traditional style Arky flipping style jig, half ounce, black and blue, you know, with a chomper's uh, twin tail grub. That's really my two go-to Baits for like the Ozarks that time of year.
1: Yeah, I think uh, throwing that football jig and brush is really the thing that would be a literal hang up for a lot of folks. But I think when you're pulling it through some of the brush, especially when it's a light brush mixed with rock, it really triggers the bite. You know, um, sometimes you can come through something too easily and uh, kind of making a, a little bit of ruckus down there will trigger a bite for a fish that is not necessarily in a feeding mood, but just in a reactionary or territorial mood. And, and that will help attract those bites too. So definitely something I'd, I'm not normally accustomed to throwing, but something I'm going to try and see how it works out for me. No doubt.
2: Yeah. Good stuff there, Kurt. Hard to believe we're through November one episode already. Not that many more to go before we're well into 2020 and talking about the new year and everything else that's going on. So, uh, enjoyed this episode with you appreciate all the stuff that you do and putting the shows together and certainly we appreciate Bass Edge Nation and them choosing to spend their time with us in the meantime for all Bass Edge Nation be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms be sure to stay also in touch with BassEdge.com where we have all of the articles videos and certainly all of the products that you can check out there for Kurt Dove I am Aaron Martin we look forward to our next episode 316 November 15th so long everybody
0: is presented by Megaware KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lawrence Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.